Okay, good to see everyone here today. Um, if you have got a Bible, um, you might want to be getting that out. We're going to be looking mainly at uh, Genesis, book of Genesis in chapter 12, but we're probably going to start off by looking at Romans. So if you turn to Romans 4, first of all, that'll be the first place to go. Um, if you haven't got a Bible and you'd like to borrow one, then maybe you could just put your hand up and one can be lent to you. Um, and the other alternative is that the words will appear on the screen as well, um, above my head. So you've got various different ways that you can follow where we're going. So last time I was preaching, I started a series on Abraham, um, who's the great patriarch. And in Romans chapter 4, um, he is mentioned quite a bit. Uh, let's read a couple of verses here. Romans chapter 4 verse 16 says this, Therefore the promise comes by faith so that it might be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He's our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. That's who God is. That's who Abraham is. And Abraham is described as the father of us all. All of those of us who believe, who trust in Jesus, who trust in God, give our, put our faith in him. Abraham is our father. He received what he did from God because of his faith. And so when we trust in God, we will receive because of faith. Now, sometimes people in the Old Testament, sometimes uh, some of the characters in the Bible are called heroes of the faith. Today, we're going to see that maybe that isn't the best title that we could give to Abraham, hero of the faith. It's really good to look at this man um, and look back into Genesis and see what he was like, what we can learn from him. Last time, we looked at Genesis chapter 12. Uh, the start of it. And we saw that Abraham didn't have a great pedigree. In other words, his family weren't all that impressive. They were idol worshippers. Uh, there was all sorts of intermarriage going on, sort of really dodgy relationships going on, really, in his family. In fact, we discovered that Abraham himself, he was called Abraham at the time, by the way. But Abraham himself, he'd married Sarai, who was actually his half-sister, um, which was a little bit weird, not really quite right, but anyway, that's what he did. That's going to come into this week's story, actually, this week's passage. Um, but never mind, Abraham was chosen and he was called by God to leave his land, to leave his family and to go to a place that God would show him, the promised land. And he was also given great promises. He was promised that all people on earth would be blessed by him. All people on earth would be blessed by him. Could you think of a bigger promise than that? And that his family would become a great nation. Although he didn't actually have a family at the time. He didn't have any children of his own. And he was old. He was around 75 years old when he set out. Sarai, his wife, was around 65. But nevertheless, he heard God, he believed God, and off he went. He left where he was living, and he traveled into the promised land, leaving behind 
everything that he had ever known. There's a, there was a picture that I saw on Facebook that um, I think Christine put up um, yesterday, and I thought, well, that's good. That kind of sums up, and um, this was uh, Abraham leaving here. I don't know if that's supposed to be him, but, you know, everything he'd ever known being left in the past, heading for blessings, heading for what God had given him, the promise of God, the call of God. And uh, that's where Abraham went, setting out at 75 years old. You know, just at the time people are putting their feet up, Abraham is off out looking for the blessings of God. You know, as God's people, I can take that down now. As God's people, we can take those steps of faith, which others wouldn't even dare to take, because we're trusting our lives to God. I remember when I used to be a teacher. I was a teacher for five years after um, university. And after five years, I, I left the teaching profession, and I actually went to work for an organization called Tear Fund, a Christian organization. I worked there for two and a half years before working for the church. But as I left um, teaching, a lot of my colleagues just said to me, Do you know, that is so brave. You are so brave in doing that. We, I wish, you know, we hate teaching as a profession. It's really, really not a good thing at all. They did. This is what it was like. Um, they said, we would love to do what you're doing, but we just can't. How can we do that? We're too, how do you know? And, and some of them said to me, well, this job you're going into, it's only a temporary job. It's, it was working with youth. You know, what, what are you going on to after that? Surely, you know, it'd be difficult to come back to teaching. Ooh, what are you I don't know. But God's, God's called me. God's led me on in this way. And my life's in God's. I'm not saying I said all that to them. That's what I was thinking. I probably just went, I don't know. <laughs> at that time, I wasn't great at witnessing to people. Um, <laughs> but, you know, God had called me on. And I'm trusting in God. We can be brave. We can do things that other people wouldn't dare to do because God's calling us. Actually, though, some people, they just like a new challenge, though, don't they? Some people are just that sort of person. You know, they do something for a while, and they think, I'm a bit bored of this. I like a new challenge. And so they would naturally be keen to move on to something new. Now, let's not confuse the two. That's not necessarily faith. Just wanting to move on and doing something risky and doing something brave and bold, that just might be in your character. It's not necessarily what God is saying to you. It's not necessarily faith. It could even be running away from what God has called you to do. Often when the faith is tested is when difficulties come. And that's what Abraham's going to find here. He's gone into the land. It's occupied by the Canaanites at the time. So he's walking through it. And at various points, he's building altars and he's worshipping God. He's trusting in God. He's saying, God, you know, I'm believing in you. He's almost staking a claim to the land. Showing that he's believing God's promise. And it's all looking pretty good for Abraham at the moment. He's obeying God. He's believing in God. He's walking in faith. But let's not think that Abraham is sorted as a person. Let's not think that he's come from a rough family. He's come from a messed up family. But you know, he's the shining star in that family. He's the jewel in the crown. He's the one who God said, you know, you really shouldn't be part of this family. I can see your head and shoulders above everyone else. Let's pull you out. Actually, he was messed up. He was messed up big style. So yeah, he's taking obedient steps of faith, walking in God. But we're going to see a side of him today, which is often missed out of the children's Bible stories of Abraham. 
doesn't focus, get focused on that much when people preach on him. But it's important to look at it because it teaches us that humans are not the heroes of the Bible. Human beings are not God's heroes. Or of the church today, God is the hero. It's all about God's mercy, God's grace, God's forgiveness in the face of our disobedience, unbelief, and stupidity. And that's what we're going to see in Abraham now. Disobedience, unbelief, stupidity. I bet you can't wait. Let's get into it. (laughs) Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they'll let you live. Say you're my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep, cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in gold and silver. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he'd first built an altar. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. All right. So here we are. Abram's traveling through the promised land. And then a famine hits. There's no food. There's no food. He's getting Hungry. His family are getting hungry. His whole entourage that he's brought with him are getting hungry. Abraham, Sarai, everyone with them. Now at this point, Abraham is probably getting a little bit confused. After all, God has made him lots of promises. God has told him he's going to give him uh, children and he's going to, uh, those descendants will become um, huge and become a whole nation. God's told him he's going to bless him and that all peoples on earth will be blessed by him. But right now, for Abraham, it's looking like things are getting a lot worse than they were when he was back in his homeland in Haran or in Ur, right back there. And that's often the way that God does things. We'll see that time and time again as you read your Bible. Later on, when Moses takes the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, where, you know, things, things have been pretty bad in Egypt. They've been slaves. They get released. God gets them free. Moses leads them out. And the, and the Israelites, what are they going to do? In Numbers 11, we see, it says, Now, from verse 1, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard their anger, his anger was aroused. Um, then fire came and burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. Um, when the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. 
Um, and verse 4, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, oh, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Oh, also the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. And But now we've lost our appetite. We've never seen anything but this manna. They're just moaning. They're thinking life was so much better before. They're thinking, oh, what about all the cucumbers and melons, you know? Probably even the kids are saying that, you know? Pr- at the time, the kids would be going, oh, I don't like cucumber. But, uh, you know, when it comes to just manna, they're all moaning. Give us the cucumber back again. Give us the melon. Life has got a lot harder for them, even though God is leading them out. That's what often happens. Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph hear from the angel Gabriel. They're going to have God's son. Now, it's not all plain sailing, obviously. Mary and Joseph aren't married. It's it, it, a bit of an embarrassment, a bit, bit difficult socially. But um, Joseph hears from God as well. And, okay, we've got it. We, we, we're believing now. This is God's son. And he's obviously going to bless the whole world. And so they travel. They've got to go to Bethlehem. Things are, okay, we're, we're trusting God. No place to have the baby. Where can we go? They end up laying him in a manger. And then after that, Herod... Wanting to kill Jesus. So they have to escape. Flee to Egypt. What's going on? I thought this was God's blessing on us. I thought God was favoring us. That's what the angel said to Mary. You're highly favored. Well, now look at me. Running for my life. Refugees in Egypt. What's going on? Jesus too, after his baptism, gets baptized. Holy Spirit descends like a dove on him. This is my beloved son. I'm well pleased with him. Fantastic. What's going to happen to him? Straight out into the desert. 40 days of testing and temptation. Paul, immediately after his conversion. You know, he's been persecuting the Christians. And then God meets with him powerfully, blinding flash of light. Falls to his knees. And he hears, this is my son who you've been persecuting. I'm Jesus. You've been persecuting me. He gives his life to God. His life's turned around. He starts to preach the good news. Starts to preach about Jesus. But people don't trust him. The Christians don't trust him. They think he's still trying to kill them. Other people are trying to kill him as well because of the message. He has to go to Tarsus in fear of his life. And he's there for about three years. till Barnabas eventually goes and gets him and brings him to Antioch. God suddenly met with him. Amazing things he's going to do. But now, way off the scene in Tarsus. Mary and Joseph and Jesus off the scene in Egypt. Egyptians wandering around in the desert, going nowhere. God gives us great promises in the same way that he did to those who we consider to be Bible heroes. But you know what? We're going to have to go through these difficult times as well. We're going to go through trials and testings and difficulties. And when we go through those things, it's very easy in them to think, well, this can't be God. How can this be God? God has promised us so much. And now look at us. Things look as though they're worse than they were before. It's easy to give up on it. It's easy to think, well, maybe we didn't hear God at all. Because we're just looking for the blessings. God's promised us the good things. God's promised us the blessings. But if we're just thinking that's all we're going to get, rather than the hardship which is God is using to refine our character, then it's very easy to just to think, oh, forget it. Let's give up. 
And this is where Abraham is right now. He wants the blessings. He's thinking, I can't be doing with this famine, this hunger. Let's just skip the pain and the hardship and the testing. I'm going to go into Egypt. I've heard about Egypt. Egypt's, Egypt's a good place to be. There's a lot of food there. I'm going to go. Let's, let's go into Egypt. And that is Abraham's first mistake. You see, God told Abraham to go to the promised land. He told him to leave his home and go into the land he was going to give him. God didn't tell Abraham to go into Egypt. He was meant to be in the place of testing. And he said, I've had enough of this. I'm going somewhere where things are, things are better. So he left the land that God had told him to go to. And he went down to Egypt, it says in verse 1. He went, um, uh, is it in verse 10, sorry. Abraham went down to Egypt for a while because the famine was severe. Do you know, it's always a bad sign when the Bible says someone went down. Remember it when uh, in Jonah, the story of Jonah that I preached from, it says um, Jonah went down to Joppa in, in Jonah chapter 1 verse 3. It's always a sign that someone is running away from God. Went down somewhere. And that's what Abraham's done. He's gone down to Egypt. He's gone out of God's presence. He's gone out of God's call. He's kind of doing it on his own now. He's thinking, I'm going to make my life better. I'm going to get some food for myself. Now, you know, it can be quite easy to look at some of these characters like Jonah and like um, Abraham and get all self-righteous and go, well, what an idiot. What's he playing at? You know, he should have stayed where he was, shouldn't he? But how many times do we give up on things because of difficulties that are far less severe than famine? You know, how many things come about in our life when we just think, oh, do you know, I don't think this is right. I think I misheard God. It's too much. The temptation to bail out is strong. So Abraham was wrong. But let's not lose sight and let's not just get judgmental about him. We can have God speak to us today about our lives too. But now he's on his own. Abraham's on his own. He's not trusting God anymore. No longer building altars, worshipping God. He's not talking to God anymore. He's taking things into his own hands. Fear has got in. Fear has got in. How how are we going to feed ourselves? And once fear gets in, once fear gets into our lives, it takes root and it takes hold and it spreads. Now, let's just beware of allowing fear to get into our lives. And he's become incredibly self-centered. Incredibly self-centered. He's just looking after number one. He seriously is. He's only really thinking about himself. He's not even thinking about his wife too much, as we shall see now. So here we are. This is what he's doing. He goes down into Egypt. He's just about to enter. And he remembers that in Egypt, they've got this thing where if there's beautiful women, then the Pharaoh kind of often takes them into his kind of harem. He gets a lot of women together and keeps them all there. If you know what a harem is, you'll understand. If you don't, well, that's fine. Um, <laughs> it's just got a bit of a fan club. Um, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> he knows that that's likely to happen. So, so he's worried about this because he's thinking, my wife, she's a bit of a stunner. You know, she's 65 years old, but she's a bit of a, she's, she's quite hot. 
at 65. She must be, mustn't she? 65 years old. There's no Botox at that time either. And she's doing all right for herself. Now, he, he's thinking, you know, this is what's going to happen. The Egyptians are going to see her and, and they're going to want her. Pharaoh's going to want her. She must be really good. Pharaoh could have anyone at all. Yeah, that 65-year-old there. She was the one. But, I mean, that's what happened, isn't it? He thinks, well, what's going to happen? Now, often what happened when, when people were taken into Pharaoh's, um, Pharaoh's entourage, his harem, was that the family were actually paid. So there was some payment went, often in the form of livestock and cows and cattle and, and people, servants, things like that. So that's what happened. But Abraham's thinking, oh, this is no good for me because, because she's my wife. So if Pharaoh wants her and I'm married to her, he can't really have her unless I'm out of the way. So his fear's got in. He's thinking, well, Pharaoh's just going to kill me. You know, she's really beautiful. Pharaoh's going to want you. There's no way that she's, he's going to think, oh, I'll just go for someone else who's not married. He's going to think, oh, I want this old guy out of the way. So he's going to kill me. And then I'll be dead. And then, and then what? So he's thinking, well, no, I need, I need to come up with another system, another idea. He remembers, hey, great news. I don't even have to lie about this. Just tell them you're my sister. Because you are my sister. And that's all okay, isn't it? You know, that's great. This weird marriage has worked itself out in some way. You're my sister. And then, and then they'll take you and then they'll pay me. Fantastic. I'm going to get paid for this as well. This is what he says. You know, he says to her, I know what a beautiful woman you are. That's a bit of a dodgy sign to start off with. You know, he's obviously softening her up a bit. Oh, you're really beautiful, aren't you, love? I've, I've just got this idea. Just got this idea. Just, just hear me out on this comes up with this plan. You know, when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is my wife, then they'll kill me, but they'll let you live. Say you're my sister. So I will be treated well for your sake. And my life will be spared because of you. Well, he's just giving away his whole motivation for this. Say, say you're my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake. My life will be spared because of you. What sort of guy is this? What... He's just totally out for himself. You know, we need to get him on the real men course because he needs to learn a few lessons. He's just taking the easy way out of God's plans. And now he's seen a way to get wealthy himself. All he's got to do, dead simple really, just prostitute your wife out. That's what he's doing, isn't it? He's saying, oh, here you are. Go and, go and I'll get some money. You go and sleep with Pharaoh. Everything's good in the world. What? What sort of man thinks like this? He's just after all the blessings, everything he can get for himself, without the walk of faith, which brings holiness. He's just pursuing wealth. He's not pursuing righteousness. He's certainly not seeking first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added. So that's the plan. That is the plan. Pharaoh, uh, Abraham puts it to Sarai, this is the plan. And what does Sarai say about it? I wonder if you're here today, woman, married, what would you say about it if your husband came up with this kind of plan to you? Do you think that would be a good, good idea? Yeah, I can see your point, Abraham. I'll go along with that. What does Sarai say? Nothing. She doesn't say anything. 
about it. Oh, it doesn't seem as though she did. You know, just be careful next time your husband comes up to you and says, darling, you're really beautiful. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What have you got in mind? (laughs) Now, I suppose, Sarah, I could be saying nothing because she's actually totally fed up herself. She could just be thinking, what an idiot. What a rotten husband I've managed to get. Do you know what? Actually, he's led me out of, he's led me out of my homeland. We're wandering about. We've got no food. Now he's thinking of selling me off to the Pharaoh, prostituting me out. Do you know what? I think life would be better like that. At least I get treated well. Maybe she's thinking that. Maybe she just thinks, yeah, I'll be rid of this loser. And he can go off wandering in the, in the middle of nowhere himself. She might be thinking that. I don't think she was. I don't think she was thinking that. I think 1 Peter chapter 3 helps us. Because I think she's actually trusting in God at this point. And unlike her husband, who's given in to fear, I don't think she has. 1 Peter chapter 3 um, and verse 5. Uh, It's in a passage talking about wives and husbands. Um, In fact, let's read the whole passage from verse 1. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, that they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty shouldn't come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way of the holy women of the past who put their hope in God. Sorry, this is, this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You're her daughters if you do what's right and don't give way to fear. Interesting. So this might be the secret, I think this is the secret, of Sarah's beauty. Because she's 65 years old. So realistically, her body is going to sag a bit. Wrinkles, things like that. It's just basic biology. But where does... Stick to the notes. Where does, where does her beauty come from? Well, this is where her beauty comes from, doesn't it? Her beauty has come. Oh, it's quite warm in here. Her beauty has come from her inner self. The inner beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And it's saying this is, this is how Sarah made herself beautiful. She's beautiful because of her attitude. She's beautiful because of her attitude towards God and her attitude towards her husband. She's beautiful because she's not giving in to fear. And so at this point, Sarah, Sarah is the one who is trusting. Sarah is the one who is saying, look, this is just mad. She's going to understand that it's mad. She's going to understand that her husband has, has totally lost the plot. But she's not going to come at him and say, you idiot, Abraham. Look, just let me take charge. Let me tell you what to do here. 
do you not trust God? She's not going to have a go at him. She's actually going to say, look, I'm trusting in God for this. I'm married to this guy, but I'm going to go with it and, and trusting in him. And she didn't give way to fear. Her story here is the amazing faith. Because she's going into a very dangerous situation. And so off she goes. The plan works itself out. Sarah does get taken into the palace. Abraham does get paid for her. He gets paid in sheep, cattle, donkeys, camels, manservants, and maidservants. The guy's been a total idiot. It's hard to see how he could be a worse husband. He's given up on God. He's just out for himself. But only Sarah is trusting and believing. Maybe you're here today and thinking you're in a similar kind of position. Maybe not equivalent, exactly equivalent. But in a similar position to Sarah. That you're thinking, do you know, I'm in a situation, maybe your husband, maybe the bloke you're with, he's not making some great decisions. Maybe the situations in your, in your life and you just think, I don't know how this is going to work out. This just looks to be getting really worse and worse. I'd encourage you to be like Sarah. Keep on trusting in God. God will come through. And this is exactly where the hero of the story comes in. Who's the hero of this story? God. God saves Sarai. How does he do it? Verse 17. The Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarai. Now, we don't know exactly what these diseases were, but we can probably have a good guess because Pharaoh has taken Sarai into his household. He's wanting to sleep with her. She's married to someone else. He doesn't know. What is going to stop Pharaoh sleeping with Sarai? I'll let you draw the dots. Join the dots up. But he's probably been inflicted by some pretty serious, like, illness. (laughs) So he's like, oh, where has that happened? He, he, he's clearly distressed. Now, at this point, Sarai probably explains to him the story. Because he goes to Abraham. He goes straight to Abraham. Abraham is the one who he turns to. So, you know, probably he's about to sleep with Sarai and then he can't. And he's like, well, what's all this about? What's happened here? And Sarah's going, oh, yeah, that would be God. That would be God doing that. Um, Why? Well, you know that guy who said he was my brother, who you paid all the sheep and the cattle and the maidservants and the manservants to? Yeah. Well, he is my brother, but he's also my husband. What? I think God's just uh, just highlighting that to you. <laughs> so Pharaoh summons Abraham. You know, God has rescued Sarai. God has intervened at just the right time. Probably right before the moment when it was too late. He always does. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, Paul says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time when we were still powerless. That's how Sarai was. 
She was powerless. She couldn't do anything about it. Pharaoh, Pharaoh was summoning her into the, into the bedroom. At just the right time, God intervenes. And that's exactly what he did with us. At just the right time, while we were still powerless, because we were sinners, because we were, our lives were in a mess. Never mind Abraham. Our lives were in a total mess. We were headed towards destruction. We were under the judgment of God. But at just the right time, when we could do nothing about it ourselves, Christ died for the ungodly. God intervenes at just the right time. Never mind other superheroes that you see. Superman, Batman, you know, the situations of peril and suddenly Superman flies in right just at the right time. No, God is the hero who comes just at the right time. And here he comes. He's rescued Sarah. He rescues us. Pharaoh summons Abraham then. And by this point, you know, he's probably not too happy. <laughs> he's, he's been afflicted by diseases. He's been tricked by Abraham. He's given a load of wealth to him. And he has a go at him. You know, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So I took her to be my wife. Now, at this point, at this point, you would expect that Pharaoh is going to go, that's it. I'm going to kill you for that. That's it. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He shows mercy to him. He lets him go. He gives him his wife back and he lets him go. He doesn't even say, and give us back those cattle as well and those camels. And those maidservants and manservants, he lets him take those too. Pharaoh is being a lot more righteous than Abraham is at the moment. He's being far more righteous than Abraham is. You kind of know you're in a bad place when the pagans are being more godly than you are. That's where Abraham was. And he lets him go. God has graciously rescued Sarai and Abraham. And this was a this was a huge thing. Abraham had nearly given up on everything God had promised him. You know, God promises him, you're going to be a great nation. You're going to have many descendants. And he's thinking, oh, how am I going to do that? I've not got any kids. Never mind you've not got any kids. You've nearly not got any wife. Because you've just given her up to someone. Because you might get a bit of money, a bit of wealth. Oh, you go off and live with him. He's nearly given up on everything. Out of fear, out of greed. And God's rescued it. God's turned it around. You know, we can have promises over us. There's promises over us as a church. When we got this building, God spoke to us prophetically about a number of things. He spoke to us about people here being uh, healed of amazing, miraculous things. And we've seen a measure of healing. We've obviously also seen people who've not been healed. But God's promised us there'll be healing. God's promised us a great number of salvations. He's promised us that we will fill this building. That he's going to build us into a, a large church. To be honest, I, I don't know how many years we've had this building now, maybe 11, 12. We've probably not really grown too much. There's probably a similar number of people here as there was then. Every week there's still all these empty seats up in the balcony that no one's in. God's promised it us. But there's disappointment. 
There's times where we say, is that, is that right? You know, people don't get healed. The building starts to cost us money. You know, we've had some work being done on, on this building recently. It cost a lot of money. You know, reinforcing stained glass windows. Are we bothered about stained glass windows? Not really, but it's a listed building, so we've got to replace them. Temptation's there. Oh, well, look, why not? Should we just sell this building? Let's just go and buy some purpose-built warehouse somewhere in the center of the city. Be a lot cheaper. Be a lot easier. We could walk away from what God said. Now, there's something, we're not into buildings as such, but God has said there's something about this place. I'm going to do something here. Are we going to wait and trust in God? Are we going to believe that he's going to do something? Or are we going to walk away from it? Oh, let's go to a different building. Or are we going to say, oh yeah, promises about great healing, but you know what? If we pray for big things, if we pray for terminal illness to be healed, and it doesn't get healed, it's only going to bring disappointment. It's only going to bring pain. Let's, do you know the easiest thing is? Let's just stick to praying for headaches. It's just easier. Let's not, let's not push ourselves too much. Let's not, let's not open ourselves up to disappointment. No! God has spoken to us. We don't walk away. Just because we can't see how something is going to come about doesn't mean that God's not going to do it. God steps in at just the right time. So Abraham, he seems to have come out of this pretty well though, doesn't he? Abraham, he's done all right. He's certainly a lot more than he deserves. And God does give us far more than we deserve. He's walked away from this situation. He's got the blessing. He's got the wealth. He's walked away with the, with the cattle and the sheep and the camels and the donkeys and the, um, and the manservants and the maidservants. He's got them all. He's got his wife back. He's got far more than he deserves. You think God's blessed him. Well, actually, yeah, God's, God's rescued him. But this blessing that he's got hasn't come about in the way that God intended it. When God blesses us with something, when God blesses us with wealth, when God blesses us with uh, things that are from him, it is indeed a blessing. But sometimes we can get things that in other ways, and they're not blessings. Proverbs 10, 22 says, The blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and he adds no trouble to it. Blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and he, had, he adds no trouble to it. We can go out of our way to get something ourselves, and God isn't necessarily going to take it from us, but it won't be a blessing to us. Actually, trouble will be added to it. And the wealth that Abraham had walked away with was going to be a curse to him and for generations to come. In fact, actually, you could even say it is still a curse today. Firstly, we'll see this next time, it brings division between him and Lot, his nephew. Because it says um, in verse 6, the land could not support them while they stayed together. For their possessions were so great, they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abraham's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. And so in the end, they decide, well, let's go our separate ways. Let's split the land in two. Again, Abraham, he's had a promise about this land. And he's going, well, let's divide it in two with Lot, 
who was a member of his family. He probably shouldn't have even brought him along. Because God had said, don't bring any members of your family. He's brought Lot along. And now he's got this wealth and it's too much for them. And they're separating. He's splitting the land in two as well. It's brought trouble. Probably more importantly, one of the maidservants who was given to Abraham, we see in chapter 16, verse 1, was called Hagar. And Hagar was who Sarai said, and Abraham willingly agreed, um, why not go and have a child by Hagar? Maybe that's the way the promise is going to come about. And so she has a child, Ishmael. And Genesis 25 tells us about the descendants of Ishmael. And it goes through in, in, uh, about all the descendants. And it says, his descent in verse 18, his descendants settled in the area from Havilah to Shur near the borderlands of Egypt as you go towards Assyria. And they lived in hostility towards all their brothers. The descendants of Ishmael, who has come from the maidservant Hagar, who has come out of Egypt. It's thought that that's the descendants of, of Arabs. And if you look at the Middle East today, there's still conflict, still conflict going on. Why is that conflict going on? You can trace it all the way back to Abraham in Egypt coming out. Oh, we've got the blessings. We've got some maidservants. It's not going to be a blessing to you. It's just going to bring trouble. It's a curse. Let's not think that when we acquire money, wealth, property, possessions, that it's necessarily a blessing from God. If we've gone about it, if we've gone about it in a selfish way, if we're trying to make something happen that God isn't making happen, if we've walked away from God and we've acquired those things, that's not a blessing to us. God's not necessarily going to take them back, but they might well be a curse to us. But blessing that God gives, he adds no trouble to. So this story, all in all, is pretty depressing. Abraham, he's no great hero of the faith. But God is. God is. Where we mess up, God comes and he brings his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. You see, God has rescued Abraham. He's not said to Abraham, that's it now. You know, I don't know why I picked you out. You clearly weren't the guy I thought you were. Actually, God knew exactly who Abraham was. He knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly what he'd do. And yet he came and rescued him. And he said, the promise is still true. I'm still going to do what I said I'm going to do. He repeats it later on as we go through the story. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you children, a child. I'm going to make your descendants great. All people on earth will be blessed by you. But, but I've just totally screwed up. Yep. But I've rescued you. And the promise still holds. God doesn't give up. He's a real hero of this story. And at this point, actually, when God comes and gives his grace and his mercy and forgiveness, at this point, Abraham gets it right. Because he responds to that mercy. He responds to God. What does he do? He goes back to the promised land. 
chapter 13, verse 1. Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev. So when he goes down to Egypt, he's going away from God. When he goes back up, that's coming back into what God has got, coming back into relationship (coughs) with God. He goes place to place until he gets to Bethel. He's aiming for Bethel. Why does he want to go to Bethel? Because that's where he met with God. That's where he built an altar to God. That's where he said, I'm believing you, God. I'm trusting in you. I'm worshipping you. That's the last place he was at where his relationship with God was good. And so that's where he's going. He's going back. He's going back to get right with God. If you have wandered away from God and gone off in your own ways, then the best thing you can do when God shows his mercy on you, in whatever way he's shown mercy to you, the best thing you can do is go back to where you once knew him, where you last worshipped God. That might even be a physical place. But it might well be that you think, you know, I used to, I used to be part of a church and I used to be worshipping, and then I, my life, I just went off and I got involved in all sorts of stuff. The best place to come back is come back. Come back to church. You know, maybe your life doesn't look too bad from the outside. But you need to come back to God. Even if God's, maybe God's healed you. Maybe God's poured his mercy out on you by healing you. Don't just think, oh, cheers God. I'll just carry on and do my own thing. Come back to him. Come back to him. He's drawing you back. Do you know, there's a lot of people when they sin, when they mess up, they, they just think, well, I might as well carry on. Oh, I messed it up, might as well carry it on. You know, maybe I've got into a dodgy deal at work, but you know, it's hard to get out of now. Well, I know it's not right. Oh, God's shown his mercy to me, but I've just got to carry it on. Maybe I'm in this relationship, and, and I know I shouldn't have started it, but it's hard to get out of now. Or maybe you're thinking, well, do you know, I really did intend to wait until we were married, but now we've just messed up, so might as well continue. We'll get married one day, maybe, but might as well continue. We've we've gone that far now. We might as well go that far again. No, no. God pours his forgiveness out. Turn back to God. Repent. Walk away from the stuff that you were involved in. Walk away from the sin. Turn away from fear. Come back to God. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 20, in the NIV, this isn't necessarily the best of translations. We were studying this this week. Romans chapter 4 verse 20 says about Abraham, he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. The, the, the accurate translation of that verse is, he was strengthened in his faith as he gave glory to God. He was strengthened in his faith as he gave glory to God. And what strengthened him? By going back to where he could, had worshipped God and saying, God, I'm going to worship you again. And as you worship, as you trust in God again, as you submit yourself to his word, then you're strengthened in your faith. You don't get strengthened before you go back. Abraham, when he came out of that situation where he's just totally messed his life up, almost messed his wife's life up, almost blown the whole promise, and God says, okay, in his, in his mercy, off you go. He's not like at that point going, yeah, I'm really strong in my faith now. He's not. 
he's probably just feeling shame. He's probably just feeling like, what have I done? I've been, rep- you know, I've been reprimanded and, and rebuked by Pharaoh. And, and now where am I? It would have been very easy for him just to live his life out in some little hole somewhere, going nowhere. But the shame of it. No, God says, lift your head. And so he went back. He's desperate. He's going to get back. He's going to travel all the way back. He's going to get to Bethel. When he gets there, he calls on the name of the Lord. And as he does so, he's strengthened in his faith. You will be strengthened in your faith as you call on the name of the Lord. Don't expect the faith to come. Don't expect to suddenly feel as though, right, I'm I'm right with God now. Oh, I just feel so far away from God. I'm just going to sit here in a corner and then God's going to make me feel like I want to worship him. And then, and then I'll go back and then I'll start worshiping again. No. We go, we believe, we trust, we know what the Bible says. Okay, God, I'm going to trust you for that. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to worship you. I don't understand it. I don't understand what's happened in my life. I don't understand what's been going on. I don't understand why the famine came. I don't understand any of it, God. I know I've done things wrong. I don't feel as though you're here, but do you know what? I'm going to worship you. I'm going to trust in you. And God says, and as you do that, you'll be strengthened in your faith. You'll be strengthened in your faith. This story of Abraham is is pretty much the equivalent, isn't it, to the story that Jesus told in the New Testament of the lost son. You know the story of the lost son? He, he, want, he goes away from his father. He, he's selfish. He wants the inheritance now. He wants the blessings now and not later. He walks off. He goes to a far off land. He does what's best for him. Exactly the same as Abraham. And then he realizes his foolishness. When he hits the rock bottom, he realizes his foolishness. And he turns to go back home. And he's not sure how his father's going to treat him. But he's going back anyway. He's going back to where he knew his father. And that's what Abraham's doing. He's going back to where he knew God. And when, and when the father sees the son, he runs to him and embraces him and celebrates and says, you are alive again. You were dead, now you're alive. You were lost, now you're found. Kill the fatted calf, let's celebrate. My son's alive. That's how God responds to us in his great mercy and in his great forgiveness when we realize our foolishness and turn back towards him. We can think, how, how can I do that? I've made such a mess of this situation. How can I ever go to God? All God will do is he'll just tell me off. He'll just punish me. No, he won't. The Bible tells us and shows us time and time and time again. So just read through the Bible. Time and time again, Peter stands there before Jesus. I never knew him. Denies him. How can he ever look Jesus in the face again? How can God use him now? He's had these promises on this rock. I will build my church. Oh, you know, he's called me Peter. He's named me in faith. Peter meaning rock. And yet I've denied him. How can I do that? And then Jesus comes lovingly to him and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love you. And Jesus says, okay, then feed my sheep. The job that I had for you is still there. What I've called you to, you've not blown it. You've walked way away from me, but I have brought you back. And it's still there ahead of you. You might think, 
I've blown it in my life. There's something in my life I just know I messed it up. God says, come back to him. There's mercy, there's forgiveness. It washes away all our sin. The blood of Jesus, that's what it was about. Jesus dying for our sins. Jesus dying to take it away so we could be reconciled back to God. So God could use us. You know, we were rebellious against God. We turned our backs to him. We didn't want anything to do with him. And just at the right time, God did something. Christ died for us. Why? Just so that we could be, okay, now now you're forgiven. Now there's a clean slate. Off you go. Just go and suit yourself now. I'll find someone else. No. So that God could choose us and adopt us into his family and say, you're my, my children and, and the inheritance that my son Jesus has, you have as well. You will come into that. And do you know what? I'm going to use you. I'm going to build my church together and I'm going to use you to advance my kingdom. And you say, but the church, well, it's just a load of people who've messed their lives up. Yeah, that's who we are, who God has died for and brought back in to a place where he can use us and he can fulfill his purposes. And we look back at Abraham in the New Testament and he's a hero of the faith and he's walking in faith. And we can sometimes think, what is this New Testament writers? Have they, have they got a blind spot? Did they not read their Old Testament or something? Did they not understand what the, the things that Abraham did? Yeah, they knew what Abraham did, but they knew what God had done too. And actually, God had wiped all that clear. God had forgiven. God had rescued. It's not remembered anymore. So it's there for us. But in God's eyes, no. Abraham's walking by faith. Walking by faith. He's not. Yeah, but he is. Because he comes and he sees it through. Brothers and sisters, let's not give up on ourselves. God's not given up on us. God's the hero of this story. We might have written off all hope, but God hasn't. He doesn't give up on us. His mercies are great. Each morning they're new. God is good. God is good. And he brings us into his goodness and his purposes. And he says, you are mine. Now walk by faith. Let's come and worship him this morning.